All right, welcome everyone. Good to see you tonight. All right, everybody should have it outlined um, and uh, should say ultimate lifestyle. And uh, tonight we'll be looking at Romans 8. So last week I mentioned that uh, Romans 7 was uh, could e- easily lead you to le- leave here uh, depressed. Okay? <laughs> but uh, Romans 8 will be just the opposite. It, it will go out of here on a high. Okay? So. My daughter said, I didn't get a whole lot out of that, Mom. <laughs> 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 that probably would have been helpful, yeah. All right, let's begin with some prayer. In the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. So, Lord God, we thank you as you gather us here tonight as your people. Thank you for your word, Lord. It's truly light for our path. I ask you to incline our heart to, to your word, to help us to have hearts that will be open to hear, to receive the counsel, the wisdom that comes from your word. Bring fresh revelation to us tonight as we study this great chapter, Romans chapter 8, so we may come to know more fully all that you've done for us through the work of the Holy Spirit, which is the gift of the Father's love, the Son's love. Help us also to, Lord, to see in our own life uh, what you have designed as the purpose of our relationship to you, how all the things that you want to accomplish in us through that relationship. And we pray all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, so... uh, mentioned last week we looked at uh, Romans 7, and we said that there's two natures in us, the old nature, and the new nature comes about through baptism, the waters of baptism, and we said that the old nature kind of like battled against us, we, like things that we don't really want to do, we end up doing things that we would like to do, we don't always succeed at doing, and there's like a civil war going on inside of us, you might want to think of that. that and so Paul, Paul kind of goes through tra- chapter 7, and he kind of like talks about that civil war inside of us and gives a picture which can seemingly be of defeat. But he does at the very end of chapter 7 lead into talking about who will deliver me from this. And he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, which is Paul's shorthand for talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus. So this week we're looking at the ultimate lifestyle for us as Christians uh, and that's the lifestyle that's portrayed for us in Romans chapter 8. Um, and uh, the key word here, you might say, um, is, um, is victory. will be a key word here. And a key phrase is Holy Spirit. Actually, it's two words, but it's not really a phrase so much, but just because the Holy Spirit was really be the person that makes all this possible to us tonight. So I think tonight, after we finish with Romans 8, and we won't be able to go as deeply into it, uh, because it's a lot to cover, it's like 39 verses, but so we're hitting on main points. Um, come away with a great appreciation for the, what the Holy Spirit wants to accomplish in each of us. That is, I think that's the takeaway for us tonight, is that all the things the Holy Spirit wants to do in us that has been made possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So, so with that in mind, um, if you had to point out what I think is probably the key verse, it's Romans 8, verse 39, uh, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. It's probably, to me, the key verse, because it summarizes everything we're going to talk about tonight and describes what we'll, I'll call a life in the Spirit a life in the Holy Spirit, a life in his presence, 
his benefits, his blessings, his power. That's why we're calling it the ultimate lifestyle. Okay, okay so let's take a look here, and we're going to try to read as much as we can, uh, Romans chapter 8. But we're going to piece, instead of, uh, we'll just kind of piece it together. So we'll take the first four verses. And uh, Romans 8, and Paul begins that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from a law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the, uh, I'm sorry, um, in order that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. All right. So let's take a look at some of the language here. And you'll find uh, at various points in Romans chapter 8, it's very dense in Paul's language. and other points, it's very clear. <laughs> so, but, so right now we're going to be in the dense part for a little while. <laughs> so, so the first fill-in here is, a, first says, a life without condemnation might be the theme of the first four verses. Underneath that, put uh, Christ in our lives. So he's the reason for why there's no condem- a life without condemnation. Christ is in our life now. So looking at, again, look at some of the passages here, uh, look at verse uh, 2 here. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus set me from a law of sin and death. Now, uh, remember we said that the Mosaic law, um, the Torah, the 613 precepts, helped, was a guide to us. Uh, it, could sh- it could tell us what's wrong, and it could point to the holiness of God, but it didn't have the power to change us. So it was kind of like a law of gravity. It had a force to it, um, but, but it, it couldn't change my heart inside. So, but Paul uses that language here, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That's a different kind of law. That has, that's a law of Christ himself living in us through the Holy Spirit has the power to change us. In baptism, we say we get a new heart, a new spirit, it's a new presence of God dwelling in us. And that presence of God is what Paul would call the law of the spirit of life. So, in other words, we think a law is creating a sense of order and parameters. Well, here Paul is saying that the life of the spirit of Jesus Christ in us creates a whole new way of living, basically. Whereas the law of sin and death created a way of living too, just the opposite. Remember Paul says in Romans 6 that, the wages of sin is death. So here, the, um, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is going to be something that will keep us alive forever. So um, now, what is that law of the spirit of life? It's divine love. And let's keep your finger in Romans 8. Let's turn to Romans 5 for just a minute. It's divine love. If you want to find a way to describe the Holy Spirit, it's... It's divine love. And Paul talks about Romans 5, verse 5. It says, Hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit, another way to think about it is the person of the Holy Spirit is divine love poured into our hearts. That's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It's, it's love. It's God's love in us, flowing in us, poured into us. 
living inside of us. So the work of the Holy Spirit then, in these verses, verse 2 here, the work of the Holy Spirit is to free me, free you, from that law, or I call it gravity of sin and death, that pulls me away from God. The Holy Spirit's job is to change me, transform me, so I'm not pulled away from God, I'm drawn into union with Him. We're going to see that particularly towards the end of Romans 8. Now when he talks here in verse 3, about, for God has done what, what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, sending the Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Okay, so he's actually thinking in his mind of the Levitical offerings made in the, in the temple. Morning offering, evening offering to atone for the sins. They were done every day. Um, it was required by the, the Mosaic law. It, those were just offerings. They had no power to change anybody's heart. So when he says, verse 3 here, uh, the law weakened by the flesh could not do, sending his own son in a likeness of sinful flesh and sin, for he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled. See, anytime the law was broken in the Old Testament, it was an offense against God's holiness. One act of sin on my part, um, unkind word, unjust action, whatever, I broke the whole law. It was like, you know, it wasn't like, gosh, give me a break. You know, I just broke one. There's like 612 I haven't broken yet, you know. Now it's like he broke everything because it was meant to, desi- it was designed to show us that God made me not for sin. And remember my illustration, I think I used this last week, of the, you have, you're scrambling five eggs and your sixth egg, you crack open and you pour it into the, and it's a bad egg. And you think, oh, no, I can salvage the other five. Well, you can't. And that's, so when I commit one sin, it's, it's, it's condemns all of me, not just the one, you know. So all of me is contaminated. All of me is polluted, you know. Um, so so what they, how they handle that in the Old Testament, they, all, they made offerings every day in the temple to atone for the sins. And then they had the, you know, the, the yearly atonement of sins and so on. So, but none of that had the power to change the human heart. Okay. okay, we'll come back to that in a minute because it's really kind of key when we understand what, why, why Jesus had to die and why he had to send the Holy Spirit. So, okay. All right. So let's go to number two, a life without domination. And there underneath that is a transformed life. Okay, so let's look at verse 5 here. Um, five, 5 through 8 to begin with. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Now for, for Paul, the flesh was not the body, the physical body. It was the drives in us like fear, anger, rage, sensuality, um, selfishness, deceit, um, you know, um, kind of like self-driven ego thoughts and actions and so on. That pride, that's the flesh that he's talking about. Okay. For those who live according to the flesh sets their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set your mind on the things of the Spirit or mind on the flesh meant you were orientated that way. So in other words, that was your focus that orientated your life. So if you or you or I kind of like say, okay, well, I'm... Uh, 
this relationship is driving me crazy. I'm filled with resentment and angerness, bitterness. That's the flesh that's orientating me, focusing me on the things of the flesh. The flesh wars against uh, what the Lord purposed for me, what he, what he, he would like me to live in forgiveness, in peace, you know, and so on in that relationship. That's orientating my mind towards the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the life of, life of the Spirit. Okay, so, so what Paul is showing here, the contrast here of two mindsets, two focuses, right? One self-centered, flesh. The other is God-centered. How do we know that? Well, what dominates your thoughts, what dominates your words, and then eventually what dominates your actions? Kind of doing a self-evaluation, which is what an examination of conscience is supposed to do. And so you say, okay, well, you know, this month, examination of conscience shows that what dominated me was anger and resentment towards person A because of what they said and did. And I, you know, so my, so you might say in, I've been orientated toward, with the mindset of the flesh towards person A because of what they said and did. So then you know what to, you need to repent of and get free of in the sacrament reconciliation. Okay. Um, all right, so let's pick it up there. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Verse 6, to set the mind on the flesh is death, and to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So death for Paul means separation from the presence and the friendship with the Lord. That's, that's death for Paul. Ultimately, that can lead to eternal death or separation, but He's saying here that if we keep setting our minds on the things of the flesh, it's going to or, uh, alienate me more and more. I keep moving away from a friendship with the Lord more and more. Um, okay, so then he says, set my minds on the things of the Spirit. He says the Spirit leads to life and peace. Life for Paul meant the life of Christ changing me into the likeness of Christ. I start to show in my attitudes, my words, my actions, what Christ would show. So I kind of imitate him. I'm kind of reflecting him. Peace here is not just calmness of heart and mind. Oh, that's probably helpful. But it means I'm, in a, I'm walking in a right relationship with the Lord. You ever been somebody close to you just weren't, in, you know, you weren't right with them for some reason? Um, I like to consider it's like trying to step into, you know, you go to the store and buy new shoes step it into a shoe, and gee, at first it feels like it's comfortable, but then as you begin walking with it, you just notice something isn't right about it, you know, you just know, you know, and that's the way it is, and sometimes in our relationships, we just know something's off, it's not, something's not right in the relationship, that's what Paul means by here, when, when we lack peace in our hearts, and we're just not, something's not right in our relationship with the Lord, it's like, trying to walk in a shoe and it just doesn't fit, you know. And so what Paul is saying is being focused on the mind of the Spirit helps us me walk in his life and peace, which means I'm in the right shoe, okay. I feel totally comfortable in my walk with him. It's like, great, it's like, great. this is great, you know. Um, okay, that's what he's trying to say. Okay, verse 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law Indeed, it cannot. What's, what is God's law? God's law is, is uh, learning to live by the fruit of his Holy Spirit. 
We're going to take a look at that in just a minute because that's really a key aspect of the life of the Spirit. So when I live by a member of my person A, I'm telling you about I'm kind of like angry or kind of like upset with them and I harbor resentment. Well, I'm hostile towards the Lord in that because I'm yielding to the drives of my flesh, which is anger, resentment, um, unforgiveness, and so on. So um, what, is, then what is God's law? It's, it's, it would be just the opposite of the flesh. Okay? So forgiveness, reconciliation, peace, blessing that person, using my words to bless them and not you know, gossip about them, for example. And verse 8, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Okay, so in other words, that's, that's trying to walk in the shoe. It doesn't quite fit, okay? I know there's something wrong in the relationship. I'm not living in the light of his pleasure, delighting him, pleasing him, living in a way maybe in, in my relationship, A, the way I should be, because, and, I, and so there's this displeasure, divine displeasure I feel, which is the unrest in my heart. So, so you know, a lot of times it shows up in our life with things like unrest, um, and we wonder, gee, where's that coming from? Well, take a look at whether you've been living more in the flesh or living more in the life of the spirit of Christ. That's where you can determine where the source of that unrest is. Okay, we're still working through here. Let's see, um, verse 9 and 10. Uh, still in these parts here. But you are not in the flesh, you are in the spirit. If the spirit of God really dwells in you. Well, the Holy Spirit dwells in us through baptism. <coughs> And Paul is saying here that we're not supposed to live a life of the flesh. We're supposed to live a life of the way Christ would live it because we have his spirit living in us. Or I like to say it this way, we have Christ's DNA, okay? Um, The Holy Spirit's God's DNA. You know, um, those of you who had children, you know that your children share your DNA. All of us here share somebody's DNA. We wouldn't be here, right? So we have, when we're baptized, we have the Holy Spirit's DNA in us, which means that we were made then to function the way Christ would function, to think like he would think and act like he would act and speak like he would speak. Remember the old saying years ago, what would Jesus do? Kind of thing. That's kind of like, well, it just wouldn't be just what Jesus would do. What would Jesus think? And what would Jesus say? As well as what would he do? Okay. So that's verse 9 there. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So if we don't have his DNA, I don't belong to his family. Just like if, you know, your next door neighbor have, may have a cute kid, but it's not your kid, you know, because it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it doesn't have your DNA, right? So, so that's what Paul is saying here. If I don't have the Holy Spirit living in me, I don't share in his divine life. I don't have his DNA. But verse 10, but if Christ is in you, and he is in us through baptism, although your bodies are dead because of sin, your spirits are alive because of righteousness. What's Paul mean by that? The body here is um, he's referring not to the physical body. He's referring to the body of sin is considered um, rendered uh, diminished in its power to drive me, control me. So... Um, so for a Christian, let's take for example, a Christian, go back to my, my person A here, a Christian who has uh, you know, anger towards somebody and resentment and they, feel, and they just feel tied up by that, 
you would say that that's a body of sin dominating them. Paul would say, okay, that's realistic, that happens, but guess what? You're, you don't have to live that way because you have the Holy Spirit in you. He has the presence and the power to free you of that so you can live a life in Christ. So you can actually, he, give, he has the presence and power to help you live in peace in that relationship, you know, and be free of the resentments, be free of the rage or the anger inside of us. Because why? Because you have the DNA of Christ in you. You have Christ dwelling in you. Okay. Verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, as Paul's, now he's trying to argue this point, he, he, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through a spirit who dwells in you. This is a twofold meeting here. Christ lives in you by the Holy Spirit. He's saying, look, Jesus was dead in the tomb, but the Holy Spirit raised him up from the tomb. Gave, transformed him, transformed his body into a whole resurrected, transformed body. So if he can do that for Jesus, and the Holy, same Holy Spirit lives in you, just think of what he can do for you and freeing you from the anger and resentment towards person A. Yeah. So Paul's point is that Christ was raised from the dead by the power of the Spirit, and you have the same Spirit living in you, same Holy Spirit living in you, so you can be free too. Matter of fact, he's saying he, you're going to get a whole new body, just like Christ got a whole transformed, resurrected body as well. Okay. So verse 12. So then, brethren, we are debitors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. So in other words, I don't have to be living that way towards person A. I don't have to. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. In other words, it will alienate you from the Lord. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So in other words, he's saying is, if you allow the Holy Spirit to begin changing you regarding person A, then that, that power to live in anger, resentment will die. It will, it will die within you. It will be diminished. It won't have as much hold on you any longer. Verse 14, now here's where he gets, because so, so he's trying to situate for us how we are to live by talking about who we are to the Lord, what he's done for us. So our identity in him means everything. I think this is where a lot of probably Christians and Catholics struggle with. They just don't know their true identity and what all Christ has done to make us his own. So here's, he's going to get to the meat of this now, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, to be led means to live, in his, to live the life that he wants us to live, to live like Christ wants us to live, are sons of God. You can say sons, daughters, okay. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. Okay, so let me just stop there for a minute. Okay, what's he talking about there? First of all, he uses the language of slavery to fall back into fear. One of the things that our first parents in the garden were deceived about was that if they didn't take a hold of that tree in the garden, God said, don't take. If they didn't, they would be missing out on something because they felt that God was somehow holding out on them. And the first thing that happened when they gave their hearts over to that and basically uh, envisioned God as a father as their 
had lied to them when in fact he didn't, you know, then what happens the next moment? Guy comes in the cool of the garden calling out to the first parents, where are you? And it's like that God doesn't, anytime God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer, okay? <laughs> he, doesn't, he knows the answer. The point was, where, what happened to our relationship? We used to walk in the cool of the garden. We were friends. We were seamless, transparent. And now, of course, what's the scripture say? They were hiding because of fear. And what Paul is saying here, you, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, okay, but a spirit of sonship. In other words, one of the characteristics of sin in our world, in our own life, is suspicion of God. We're afraid of him. We keep him at arms of distance. We don't know what he's going to do. He's going to ask us to do something we can't do. We're going to ask, ask us to do something we're going to fail at. Will he do this? Will he send that? Will he go after, you know, it's like all these <coughs> suspicions and distrust surround him in our hearts and minds. That's the consequence of sin. The, the, the work of the Holy Spirit is to transform me, to change me so I, don't, I go from